Hi, everyone. I'm Brandon Lee, one of the co-hosts of Recovering the Pines podcast show, alongside of the co-founders and the co-owners of Recovering the Pines up in Prescott, Arizona, Albert Black and Doug Dolan. Good morning. Good to see both of you today. Good Good morning. Good to see you. Um, I always tell people my first experience up in Prescott, Arizona, it was so serene Mm -hmm. and so beautiful up there. What drew you guys to Prescott, Arizona? I know you've been up there for a hot hot minute. Well, I've been there for 20 years. My wife was born and raised there and we would go and visit her parents. I'm a desert rat. I'm from Tucson. And I was like, it's nice up here. And then we'd be driving back down to the heat and it was nice and cool in Prescott in the summer. And so we ended up moving there 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And for us, so we lived in Southern California and I was looking on making a change, getting out of the technology sector, getting out of Southern California. And my sister-in-law knew of Prescott. I had never heard of it before. And so they were also thinking about moving out this way and said, hey, would you like to come check out this little town? So we did and fell in love with it. Yeah. I always say environment is everything. Yep. And it's yeah, so yeah. beautiful to get up there and kind of change your environment, which we'll get into that today. Uh, today's topic on Recovering the Pines is is pretty much not all treatment centers are created equally. And I think that you know we live in this oversaturated market of treatment centers and more and more continue to pop up. And I think it can oftentimes be a little debilitating you know, for families, um, knowing that they have a loved one or perhaps even themselves, they know they need to get help, right? But they're like, where do I even begin? There are so many, there are so many treatment centers and so many healing centers out there. Where do I begin and how do I know if it's the right fit for me? Uh, what are some of the things, and either of you can jump in on this, what are some of the things that a family should begin to look at when deciding to send a loved one to treatment? Right. Well, I usually get the calls and you know, they start off by asking me, how, how long is it and how much does it cost? And that's not how you should determine where you're sending someone. You know, is it the right fit for someone? You know, is it male only? Is it female only? How, you know, what, what type of services do they provide? So you, you got to do your due diligence. Everybody looks at websites and there's a lot of nice websites, but when you call, you talk to the owners, we're very transparent. You know, we want to educate you. I'm just an advocate for people to get well, and we're not for everybody. You know, our program six months to a year because that's really what it's going to take to help somebody and if they're not if that's not what they're looking for then we're not the right fit yes you know we take a look at things of length of time because we're talking about transformation it's one thing to stop it's a whole nother thing to learn a new way to live to work through trauma those things don't happen overnight and so you want to take a look at does my loved one realistically How can they heal and in what period of time? Because too many people go to multiple treatment centers over and over and over again. And it's like, what if you could heal from the very first time? That's going to take time. Then it's also about what kind of team do you have? Do you have the qualified team to work with the loved one and all the different needs that they may have? Because if they are coming just as they perceive for substance abuse, it's never just about substance abuse. There's so much more to it. You know, there's things of, again, trauma. There could be other medical or mental health diagnoses. There's things about how to heal the body uh, and also things of life skills. Life skills is a huge portion of it. And so it's really about seeing what kind of environment, as you said, Prescott's a beautiful environment. What kind of environment is my loved one to go into? Because if it's not a healthy environment, and there's a lot of places out there that are not a healthy environment, it's going to be immensely difficult, if 
at all possible for somebody to heal in that unhealthy environment. And so it's also, you know, just taking a look at the individual as a whole. We're not just treating one dimension of them. We are looking at them mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And again, do you have the staff to be able to do that? A lot of people see, I like the length of time because a lot of people like to do 30 days. It looks like a nice place to live and it's the right price. Let's go. And that's a recipe for disaster. You know, I look at uh, treatment as an investment, right? We're making a, a financial investment in the, the, how the rest of our life will look, right? And oftentimes what may look like a good bargain or a good deal up front will end up costing you more down the road, right? Rather than spending the capital up front in order to get a great ROI, and ROI meaning your life, right? right. I um, People always count the cost of what it's going to cost me to go. They never count the cost what it's to not go. And I think you need to look at both of those and make an informed decision. Well, and I'm sorry, really quickly mm -hmm. on that, because I just did an intervention this last weekend, and that's the very conversation I had with the individual, because he asked, how much is this going to cost? And I say, I only discuss it with the people who are paying. And in his particular case, it's his, his parents paying. And I said, your ROI that they're looking on you giving back is in how much is this costing them, but can you heal and become the son that they've always known you could become? It's your job to get well. That's what you need to focus on, not how much this is, how much this is going to cost. Yeah, you know, I think from his perspective, right, is he's going to even feel more guilt and more shame if he's like, oh, my parents are going to, and he'll go to his parents being like, you don't need to spend all this money in order for me to do that and use that as a manipulation tool toward his parents. Absolutely, because how much have they already been paying for you to live your life in an unhealthy way? And how are you going to use that as a dodge not to do the work that's necessary for you to be able to heal? Right. You know, these guys will say, I don't want my parents to pay for treatment. I don't want them to su support me, but they're paying for your apartment. They're paying for your attorney. They're paying for your car. They're paying for your phone. They're paying, you know, and so you really don't care if your parent, what your parents are paying for. Yeah, this is so true. You know, but we're, we're living in a system right now where the system of treatment, it's failing a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I think it's because we have a lot of people who have jumped into the realm of being a treatment center owner mm -hmm. because of financials, right? They see an opportunity. And we're seeing a, this a lot in the, within the Native American community right now in Arizona, where these people are seeing the reimbursement rates for a certain subset of folks. So they're just creating these programs in order to bill and make millions of dollars, but they're not providing the true programming that will help these people actually heal. And so I wanted to kind of talk to you about where do you think, because we're seeing way too much relapse, mm -hmm. right? Where do you think that we are failing or where these treatment programs are failing these people who truly need the help? Well, I think it starts with the ownership. You know, I didn't get into this because of the money. Um, I just, this is a, a mission. This is a ministry for us. Um, you know, we're in recovery. I'm a guy, I'm that guy, you know, and there's not a lot of good treatment out there. Um, you know, if you're looking for cheap, quick and fast, that's usually what people want, cheap, quick and fast. And that model just doesn't work. And a lot of, you know, 99% of the programs, the insurance companies are dictating what needs to happen. And we stopped taking insurance a long time ago, and we've proven over 11 years that um, how we do things works. 
So in that particular case, you know what I look at. So picture if somebody has an insurance policy and let's say that insurance policy, they run a verification of benefits and come to find out that there's 10 different services that that insurance company will pay you on. They're going to force feed those 10 different things onto that particular client, whether they need them or not, and some multiple times, just so they can bill as much as possible on that policy. And in 30 days, they're going to cut them loose. They still haven't paid attention to what's the true need here. They haven't made those connections. And what if the client only needs three of the things on that menu and they need eight things that aren't even on that menu? Are you giving the client what they need or do you just look at, you're licking your chops because you see this menu that you can force feed on this particular individual and just make as much money as possible. And so you end up failing the client in that particular case. And it actually all trickles back down to the payers, the insurance companies that are saying, well, we'll reimburse for this, we'll reimburse for this, we'll reimburse for this, we'll reimburse for this. And that, that really leads us to you know, so many people are in the wrong place because it's not a one size fits all approach to recovery. And you all know this. And and I think that that's where we're trying to get with the value-based care model is no, allow us to individually assess each client that comes to us and we will create a unique program within our, within our overall treatment center that is designed because someone who's nonverbal, right, may need to use other modalities in order to help them heal from their trauma. Well, everyone is so different. We all learn differently, right? We all heal differently. And we have to be able to find a program that is willing, right, to identify and assess who you are, the trauma you've been through, and then figuring out the right program that will help you. Right. Sitting in circles all day does not work. That's the insurance <laughs> model. Like every treatment group, center, group, they're running group, 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 because yeah. group, you can bill for that. We're, we're doing group for a few hours a day. We do need to sit in circle for a little bit, but we live in a beautiful place. Like we started out Prescott, you know, we're up in the mountains, we're hiking, we're doing all kinds of experiential things. Um, if I had to sit in a circle all day, that would be torture. So that's, we don't do that. Well, and also picture, like if you send your kid to school, do you send them for 30 days or do you send them for a school year? You know, it can sometimes take the teacher even that first 30 days just to understand the student. And then like you're saying, how does the student learn? How am I going to connect with them? How am I going to teach in a way that they understand that they can take that on? And that typically can take 30 days. If you're just getting to that point and then you release the person out into their own life, that's a very, you know, unrealistic transition that is very difficult for them to think, I feel better and I have a little bit of information and yet they're still very ill-equipped to go ahead and manage their own life because have they gotten into triggers? Have they gotten into the other things in which they numb themselves out or stimulate themselves? Have they worked through issues of relationship? Have they worked through issues of trauma? I mean, that's way too much to go through inside of 30 days. You were talking about being misdiagnosed and in some cases folks being over-medicated. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, everybody comes to our program being diagnosed and being on medication and from experience they're over medicated and misdiagnosed everybody's bipolar everybody's depressed everybody has anxiety and 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 that may be true when they come because of how they've been living but i don't think it's a i don't think you can really diagnose someone until you've been with them every day again you could go see a therapist today you go see a doctor today and they're going to give you a diagnosis after 30 minutes that's that's false. I think uh, that's not good judgment. So we don't do that. We need a little bit of time. So you may have 
either from past history interviews or some of the symptoms that you're seeing when you interview them, you have some suspicions about what may be going on with them. But you're not going to know over a period of time. So again, the model is also set up from an insurance basis standpoint that I have to be able to give a diagnosis so I can bill and so I can medicate. And if I have a very short window with them, I need to triage that just to stabilize them. But even those doctors, psychiatrists will also tell you, I'm not sure it's going to take some time. So if I have an issue, uh, a uh, client that is exhibiting psychoses. Is that something organic of mental health? Is that because they've been doing meth for an extended period of time? Is it because it's been activated because they've been doing a lot of marijuana and it's triggered other things? They don't know, but they've got to start somewhere. So they give them a diagnosis and they medicate them. And so we have a hyper-efficient system as a society to diagnose and get people on medications, but we have a very poor system for getting them off of it. And, you know, I think we come from, I think we're finally at this place where we can all agree that trauma is the underlying root of everything, Mm -hmm. right? Unhealed trauma is. And it's really important that people begin to look at an overall program going, well, where's your program for trauma healing? Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? Because we all know you cannot heal someone's trauma in 30 days. It is impossible to heal someone of their childhood trauma in 30 days. Right. It is impossible. So I tell people all the time, it's, it takes 30 days of stabilization, right? Just getting the person not to shake anymore. If they need detox, right? Just getting them stable. It is impossible scientifically to get someone past the frontal lobe in the first 30 days after years of abuse. And I, I just see a lot of, you know, treatment centers, um, they just don't have staff that's appropriate to deal with that. I'm, I'm thinking of a recent, I know a guy that came to us that was going to be a patient of ours, and he went and worked at two different treatment centers, and this was probably 90 days ago, and he's leading groups now at a major treatment center. Like, he is running groups for patients, and I'm just, you know, how does that happen? Um he definitely has the the history and he knows what he's talking about addiction, but he has, he has zero training at being a therapist or should be leading groups. He should be a patient. Right. And as you know, you know, we have these different levels to our brain. You have the animal brain, you have the emotional brain, you have the executive brain inside of 30 days. You can talk to the executive brain, but it doesn't translate to what's going on with that animal brain. And you need, usually need to start from the bottom up. How do you even get somebody connected with their own body and how they're getting activated? And what is that possibly relational to? And so when you can start to become aware of those things, you now also need the time. How do we start to drill in these other skills? And it isn't just a one-time thing. And so trying to do all of that inside of 30 days, while if you're also dealing with substance abuse issues and your head might start coming out of the fog within that period of time, while you're probably also future tripping about what's day 31 going to look like and how am I going to manage my life and how am I going to handle a job and where am I going to live? It's way too overwhelming to give somebody the opportunity to truly heal. You know, you started out with asking the question, why do treatment centers fail? And I'm just sitting here thinking about treatment centers. You know, we believe in discipline, structure, and accountability. And I'm looking at treatment centers. They don't have the proper supervision. Um, They just let patients do whatever they want. You know, it's just, and and also in, in 11 years, you know, most treatment centers, there's, 
you know, where Doug sits on a lot of committees up in our area and, and, and law enforcement um, weekly, there's overdose in 11 years. We have not had one overdose, not one. I mean, I don't know if there's any place in the country that can say that in Phoenix, you know, these there's overdose every day in treatment centers at treatment centers. We've had zero zero. And so I think that speaks to, you know, what we do, the supervision, how we screen people, you know, our patients are always supervised. And I see a lot of these treatment centers, they're just not supervised and people are going to do what they do. And, and, you know, in that particular case too, part of it is the supervision because we know they're unwell and they're already have wired themselves to become hyper-efficient, unconsciously competent at sometimes doing the dangerous or wrong thing. So you want to supervise that. But on the front end of that is how we engage the client, that we really plug into them because part of this illness is an illness of detachment. We start isolating more and more, even right in front of people. But we remove ourselves because we're living this double life. And so it's how we plug into them, how we engage them, how we see the tells that they have that they may not even be aware of that's signaling to us okay this is potentially building up to an event how do we get out in front of that and help them move in a healthy direction and because we're engaged on a regular basis and they see how we live it out they have more trust to believe that this is possible and you genuinely do care it's fascinating uh, when we go and, and we, when somebody is completing their that 30 days that was set by the payers and not anything, you know, based out of science, full stop, when the insurance companies decided to say, hey, we'll pay for 30 days of treatment, none of that was based in science or data. It just wasn't. And I think they're now finally, finally seeing and waking up to the fact that, wow, it's going to take a hell of a lot longer than 30 days in order to keep someone on the right path. Um, and I think it's important when you begin to really look at treatment centers as an option for you or a loved one, it's also the continuum of care. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times, a lot of treatment centers are set up to not care on day 31. Um, and, and they don't necessarily care if you do experience another relapse because you'll end up right back in their 30-day cycle and they'll be able to bill for you. And I want to talk to you about your guys' program and what you offer after someone leaves or the, the next step for them when they're no longer up in Prescott. Right. Well, there's there's phases. And so obviously, like you said, when someone comes, I don't care where they go, you have to stabilize someone crazy. They're high. You got to calm them down, stabilize them. We all do that. Everybody does that, you know, and then what they typically do is we educate. That's what people consider rehab. You know, you're going to stabilize someone, you're going to educate them for 30 days and typically then they go home. Well, that's a recipe for disaster. So what we want to do is we want to stabilize you, educate you, then we have to implement the things we're teaching you. We have to start, I need to see you doing it here, which once you start implementing those things, you get, you create habits, which give you a new purpose in life. We want you to do those things while you're in our program, or you'll just go home and relapse again. We want guys working and going back to school. We're walking with them through this process. Cause what I know is if you won't do it while you're here, you're not going to do it when you're, when you leave, you know, everybody thinks, Oh, when I get home, I'm going to start working out or I'm going to start going to meetings or I'll get a sponsor when I go home or I'll do all of these things, but you won't, you won't. So you have a beautiful program called Art of Our Soul, right? correct? Do you just bring them in and tell them how to do art and then send them on their way? No. No, you do art with them. Correct. 
You need to be there and witness the experience, walk them through it. And they're coming together with realizations and emotions while that's happening. And they need somebody there that can translate that for them. So what he's talking about, again, if you just educate them and send them on their way and think they're going to do the right thing. They won't succeed. Yeah, right. it's, it's absolutely asinine. And so yeah, you have to know the science behind it. You right. have to know how to do yep. it. But then it takes repetition to become really good at it. Well, right. and I also know of programs who unfortunately used to be 90 days and 90 days still typically is not enough. And they reduce their program down to 30 days and they reduce their program down to 30 days. If they're rigorously honest and you know, I know people there that because you can make more money in 30 days and you can make it 90 days or later, and it's easier to deal sometimes with the individual just in the 30 days. Try to help them through all the life transitions over the course of a year of getting back on your feet and dealing with the family issues and dealing with going back to work or back to school and start to have some challenges and some successes there. Like it takes more work over that period of time. So, you know, sometimes clients will come in and they say, you're just in it for the money. And if it's, if I were just in it for the money, I would do a 30 day program. It would be so much easier. And those that like to talk about statistics saying, hey, hey, we have a 90% success rate inside of 30 days. And it's like, yeah, congratulations. But then what? Yeah. Right? Well, what's the success over the course of 12 months? We're not Absolutely. looking at success rates while they're in your care. We're yes. looking at a success rate of, are they maintaining sobriety after they leave? And what does and that how quality we, of life look like? And what right? are we measuring success yes, by? Exactly. Um, a great conversation about just understanding more about what people should be looking at when they're mm-hmm. looking at a treatment center. So if uh, you're watching this uh, podcast show or you're listening on iTunes or Spotify and you do have a question, this is the one unique opportunity where if you go to recoveryinthepines.com, Albert and Doug will actually reach out to you. Mm-hmm. Like the owners and the co-founders and I actually don't know of one. I don't know of one other treatment center, and I'm partners with 16, where the actual owners and the founders of the treatment center will pick up the phone and call you, and they'll be more than happy to have a conversation with you. Also, I would like to provide a list of families that you can call and talk to. You know, I, mm. I, I can tell you we're great and awesome and all mm. of this stuff, and but I want you to talk to families because I don't think moms and spouses and you know, family members are going to tell you we're great if we're not. So we always, you know, when we get to that point, you know, after I've engaged a family for one or two phone calls, I'm like, would you like to talk to some other families? And here's a list, call them, ask them whatever you want. And uh, we're really transparent. You know, we, I've even invited families, come run a day with us. Mm-hmm. Like come, come hang with us. We'll show you what we do. There it is. Yeah. Albert Black, Doug Dolan, and I'm Brandon Lee. We'll see you back here for the next Recovering the Pines podcast show.